Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas. We have got a hell of a show today, folks. If you are aware of who Tory Cook is, Tory is the owner of MFK Game Calls and well-known for his uh, involvement in coyotes. But some of you might not know, Tory is a deer killer and has a passion for deer hunting. So Missouri Woods and Water has the first ever podcast, Tales of the Chase, where Tory is talking about deer hunting. And it is a hell of a fun show. Um, you know, we got to talking with Tory after the last time we recorded with him about coyotes and how much he loves deer hunting. And, and we just thought, man, it'd be so cool to listen to a, a story from something that, you know, not a lot of people talk to Tory about, which is deer hunting. Um, and like I said a, a second ago, he's got a huge passion for it and just thought it would be a great time to start off, kick off the season here in Missouri with an awesome Tales of the Chase episode uh, with Tory Cook. You're going to be hearing this show um, four days after the season starts. So nice kickoff to the, sh- the season and uh, Tory brings it home with a, a, an awesome uh, story chasing after a deer for several years um the show is pretty long so i'm just gonna thank our sponsors uh for what they do for us and and everything they do uh we appreciate everything about them so let me let me name off those sponsors that we got that uh we couldn't do this show without thank you to weber outfitters athlon optics onyx camel fire black ovis huntworth gear alps outdoors Zamberland boots reveal by tacticam and our buddy Dustin Williams at Habitat Works. We thank you all. Um, and uh, we'll get you some some longer spots at some point. But this show is nice and long. And I don't want to waste any time getting in here and listening to it. Because it is freaking sweet. And we want to thank Tori for coming on. We're excited to talk to him and get to know him even more. So uh, let's get into this show. Tales of the Chase with Tori Cook. Not just a coyote killer but a deer killer. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right, we are with Returning guest now, friend of the show, Tori Cook. What's up, man? Oh, another day. Appreciate y'all having me on. Always fun. Is, is it as hot as Hades down there, or is it man. just Missouri right now? No, right now, we're. I think we're at our hottest days of the year for this year so far. The heat index, we hunted yesterday. Well, I've been hunting every day. And I think the heat index, when we got back to the truck, was 116. Oh, wow. jeez. Oh, and we were we were soaked, but we killed some coyotes. Well, there I saw I saw that on social media. You uh, you took your grandson out to you you shot a coyote with your trad bow, correct? Or right. And uh, you took your grandson out uh, to either finish it off or find it. I never I didn't see the end of it, but right. He thinks he finishes. He, he shoots all of them. He shoots everything I shoot again. <laughs> so uh, he he finishes everything off. Okay, I know I get it. That makes uh, more sense. They get a finishing shot. That's there awesome. you go. 
Um, well, we've circled this day since we had Tori on our show a few months ago. Uh, we got to talking to Tori like we do with a lot of our guests after we recorded. And uh, we we learned something that not a lot of people know. But Tori Cook is not just about doggies. He likes to hunt the four-legged cervid animals also, better known as a white-tailed deer, don't you? Yeah, that's uh, – I'm known for the coyote stuff because that's, you know, the business side of it. But bow hunting deer is actually my favorite thing to do. It's always been, you know, that's always been my thing. I love to hunt coyotes too. But when bow season comes in, I'm strictly – bow hunting deer from the time season comes in until you know it goes out and if i run out of tags i'm gonna buy something in a in a neighboring state and keep on i'm gonna hunt them till their horns fall off pretty much <laughs> i like it you heard yeah, it here like first it. folks yeah not a lot of people know that yeah, yeah. i yeah i guarantee that's a, yeah. a fun fact yeah i'm pretty so. low-key with my deer <laughs> stuff just because i hunt so much public ground i'm pretty low-key with it well it's, uh, it's probably I don't advertise your... it because i don't make any you know it's not part of the business side of it very yeah, much right so a lot probably of your vacation away from coyotes too. a lot of my deer stuff do what probably your vacation away from coyotes too it's your kind of your own i don't say serenity type moment it, but yeah you don't have to worry about I mean, filming or you know if you do or don't but you know you get get to do it your way type deal yeah yeah it's a uh, it is it's the the coyote side of it when i'm hunting and filming coyotes it's all you know it's i'm trying i've got to get those videos i've got to get this stuff to showcase the sounds when i'm deer hunting i video all that too i I carry a camera on every hunt regardless Mm -hmm. of what i'm hunting but when i'm deer hunting it's more just my time it's more enjoyable uh a little slower pace i guess uh, which deer hunting slower pace than coyote hunting anyway but it's it's more enjoyable because it's just me and the you know what I'm doing there's no business related aspect to it. Yeah, I think that's we've talked about this a, a million times what a lot of us me specifically included in that is what we what I love about the two different sports, deer hunting and coyote hunting because they're really not even close to the same thing. They're right. so different that you know, it's hard to even say, well, what do you love more? Now, I would be the same as Tori. I would choose whitetail over coyote. If I could only do one thing for the rest of my life, that's what I would do. Um, but, man, it's hard to compare them because they're not even close to the same. Uh, there's a there's a well, totally different rush you get from the two different uh, hunting. Yeah, and the good thing about coyote hunting, deer hunting, turkey hunting, all of it, you know, the way it – the times of the year that a lot of it's at its best they don't overlap too bad so you know you can you can get out there and enjoy all of it which is what i do i just go from one animal right to the next and pretty much hunt year round i mean here prior to i was waiting on family bust up on the coyotes to start taking place here until into august Mm -hmm. prior to that i was calling coons and shooting them with my you know with my longbows so it just i'm always looking for i'm not much of a target guy so i'm i like the live live target so i'm always looking for something that's breathing yeah that uh, i knock the blood out of and yeah. i get a little more out of that i like it i'm with you i'm with so you i just rotate for whatever whatever's in season and i can get after yeah that's what i'll swap to but hey made for killing hits, not just a slogan made for killing it doesn't say made for killing coyotes only <laughs> that's right <laughs> 
That's right. But but again, when that velvet sheds, until they shed their horns, I'm going to be chasing deer. Game yep. time. Yep. Well, speaking of game time, this is the first time that we know of that Tori was talking about that um, he has been on a show where we're not going to talk about coyotes. We're going to talk about a Tales of the Chase episode with Tori Cook himself about a whitetail. I like it. Which is awesome because we haven't had one for a while. We've been doing a lot of informational podcasts lately. And uh, we got to talk with Tori, like we said earlier, uh, after we recorded last time. And uh, started talking about deer. And he, he mentioned how he enjoys the stories. So we thought, yeah. well, why don't, why don't you tell a story? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we're going to have a Tales of the Chase episode with Tori Cook. And uh, it's about a deer. I got to ask this first question. Did you nickname the deer? I've heard y'all talk about that before. <laughs> I usually, I usually don't necessarily name deer like these, you know, catchy names. Uh-huh. Now, I call this deer the blind six point. I usually refer to them as you know whatever characteristic makes it easy to identify them. When I've I've got one or two buddies that I'll trade a little information with, pictures and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, where we know what each other's hunting and we'll trade information on those deer. And usually, you know, whatever my three or four or five or six, whatever deer I've got that are worth talking about, you know, I'll call them stuff like the wide eight, the blind six, stuff <laughs> like shut that. your mouth. Uh, <laughs> Another reason now, why Tori makes one. it on my list. Exactly. <laughs> I'm with you. I do have one that I call Craig. But it's a, <laughs> he's named that i'll tell y'all this story real quick how he got his name and this could potentially be a future tales of the chase i have not killed this deer yet i have if i get him again this year this will be the fifth year documented history i've got with this deer hmm. but anyway craig got his name because i was i had my camera i always run it in video mode so i'm getting videos of this deer He's just a he's just a, a pretty good big framed eight point, just clean eight point, but recognizable. He's got some curls to his tines. And anyway, I had at the time, that was the second year that I'd had the deer. He had no name. And I think I called him like curl tine eight point or something. And I'm getting all these videos of this deer just repeatedly of him working a scrape and then standing around in front of the camera anyway. Over time, I figure out he's got a doe bedded in a top right there by my camera. So he's tending and keeping this doe hemmed up right there. Well, I get a series of pictures for a couple of hours or videos off this deer. And then I get a video of him and the doe running away from the camera. And while the video is still rolling, you see the deer in the background leaving. A guy that I know that hunts this piece of public ground walks out in front of the camera he doesn't see the camera it's to his back he walks out and stands there and he's look i can tell that he saw the deer and i don't know if he knew what they were but he stops and he's watching those deer well that guy's name is craig Craig. Craig. (laughs) that's i've referred to that deer as craig and craig has managed to i've had a couple opportunities to kill him i never really tried hard to hunt him i've always got something usually have something bigger but anyway craig is still alive as of last year was still alive so if i get him this year uh, it'll be five years with him and that should put him about seven years old dang oh wow 
That's, that's somewhere in that neighborhood. That should be about his biggest year, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I was expecting he, some he, extravagant name. Yeah, <laughs> Craig, Craig. Yeah. Mike, you have no idea how happy Mike is right now because I, I feel like I won because he's technically naming the deer. Logical names. So I feel like I win because I that is so. a nickname. No, we're the same. We do the same thing. <laughs> that's what Micah does. I Don't, got a wide eight. I got one that he got the nickname Nubs because he's got three legs and one nub. So just yeah. basic stuff. I don't come up with freaking, you know, scorpion yeah, king I don't, or I don't whatever. Have to, I, don't have to, I don't have to come up with anything. It's just a name scorpion off Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, uh, I don't have T-Rex or Rotosaurus. <laughs> right. Hey, there is a, a bunch of Mortal Kombat characters I can send you names of, and you're good. I mean, you will have badass names for as long as you need them. Tell you, don't, you don't need them. Don't hey, need them. whatever. I mean – I get it either way. I mean, something, if you're, if you're taking in inventory of deer, you're hunting specific deer, you need something to identify them, either give them a name or call them a characteristic. I usually do the characteristic deal, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me if somebody's hunting Snoopy or whatever. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Okay, so uh, the the deer we're going to talk about today, and when the show comes out, everybody's gonna, you know, we'll see a photo of, of the deer that he harvested, is this big-ass six-pointer. Now, the year he killed him, yeah. he, he wasn't six points. He was five. But just this big mainframe six-pointer who uh, yeah. I guess we can hold off on the age. We'll let Tori tell yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah, let's get into that but history. Let's uh, let's talk about how this all started with this uh, big-ass six, uh, which you called the blind six, right? The blind six-pointer? Right. Uh, how, blind how, and his left eye. How did this whole thing start out with him? So in 2018, I started uh, late in 2018, uh, probably December of 2018, I started hunting a little piece of public that's fairly close to my house. And right off the bat, I put out some cameras. And like I said, I always run them in video mode. And I had this camera just on a trail in a in a thicket, kind of a peach spot in a thicket. And go back to check the camera, pull the card, and I get one or two videos of this deer. He was behind the doe both times. And right off the bat, I know these were both night pictures night videos and i notice immediately that it's just a big old looking deer and he's blind in his left eye and you could tell even in the daytime that he's blind in his left eye but if the if he was close enough to the camera because his eyelid was half closed and so i noticed that about him and he was just this big six point frame and i looked at the picture didn't think a whole lot about it other than that looks like a older deer that's only got six points and i noticed he was blind in one eye didn't pay much attention to it didn't have anything else to hunt on that camera in that spot so just kind of shrugged it off but i usually save my pictures each year and so i saved it and i'm glad i did because of the way it played out but that was pretty much it for 2018 and what got the story kind of started so so you knew he existed fast forward Right. Yeah. Right. But I, you know, he wasn't, I wasn't thinking about hunting him or, you know, really giving him a second thought. And so fast forward to 2019, I go back to hunt this, this place. I end up shooting a deer down there that year. That was a decent deer uh, as a nine point. 
fairly heavy horn deer, saw some decent deer. So I said, well, I'm going to go back and hunt this place again. And I used to do a lot of hunting farther from the house, two hour drive. I had a camp on White River uh, and there are better deer there. So I spent a lot of my time hunting that area earlier on. White, Arkansas, Mississippi River, that river bottom area. And I just got tired of the traveling and the older I got, I was, you know, wanting to hunt closer to home. So I was giving up, knowingly giving up quality of rack size to hunt closer to home. And so 2019, I did not go to those other places. I just started right back on this smaller block of public. And this time I was running cameras fairly early. And right off the bat, uh, pretty close to the same area, uh, well, within probably a quarter mile, I get pictures of this deer. He just, I think he had just shed velvet uh, in 2019. And I recognize him immediately. Big frame, six point blind. And he's walking right at the camera and he's got a limb hung in his rack. <laughs> and big old body, even for, even for early, you know, season ain't even come in yet when I get this picture. And even then, you know, his body and stuff, you could just tell neck size, all that stuff, just a bigger bodied deer. And so, you know, he caught my attention. I recognized it as the deer that I got in 2018. And that was about it for that year. Other than I was, I was a little more aware, hey, this is an older deer. And if I see him, I might shoot him, but I'm not going to hunt this deer. And of course, I got pictures of some other deer. I had another deer fairly close there to him. Had the Craig deer uh, that I mentioned. Hey, Craig. Uh, and I had a, <laughs> a giant framed eight. I mean, a giant framed eight point. This 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 deer ended up getting killed on a rifle hunt um, the following year, and that that eight point scored one fifty four. Just to give you an idea, that's a big eight. eight point. Yeah, massive eight point. One fifty one or one fifty four. He was over one fifty and had. 10 inch eye guards i mean any but, any uh, eight pointer that hits 135 is a big eight pointer i mean yeah oh, <laughs> oh he was he was a just massive frame just a big one and so that deer had my attention along with a couple of other ones uh during that 2019 time frame and i continue to get pictures of this big six point he was he was fairly active in that area and i got plenty of daytime i probably could have killed him uh, I was getting a good, you know, I was getting a good bit of activity from him that year. And I thought, sure, they always have these rifle and muzzleloader hunts that come in. And I thought, sure, this deer would get killed because most of them, of what I have pictures of early, I usually lose, on an average year, I lose 60% of my recognizable bucks. Yeah. You know, once I, once wow. those hunts are over with and the cameras go back out, I lose probably 60% of them, sometimes more. Um, wow. And that's just the, you know, the stuff you recognize and pay attention to, you know, your, your better, probably three-year-old, decent-looking mm-hmm. deer on up. So I don't focus on him in 2019. I'm hunting those other deer, but I did end up late season. I end up killing a 10-point. That video is actually on the YouTube channel. Okay. I think it's called the Beaver Water Buck, and I'm pretty sure that's the year I killed him. See, that's a name. Um, Beaver that, Water. That's a name. I'm just saying. 
Well, the, I didn't call the deer the beaver water buck. That was just the name of the this deer. This deer was there was a bunch of beaver water where I was hunting, dammed up swampy stuff. And this deer, I knew some deer were bedding out there in that water, and I was hunting right on the edge of it. And I grunted this deer in as a deer I had pictures of two years. I, actually, my buddy had pictures of him the year before. I had pictures of him the, the year that I killed him. And I ended up grunting this deer in. I heard him get up and come out of that beaver water, and I grunted at him and come in, and I shoot him right there under the under the tree. Nice, check that one out. Yeah, kill that deer in 2019, and I called the I titled the video the Beaver Water Buck because uh, he come out of the beaver water, but uh, he didn't have he didn't have a name. I just called him the the Ten Point, the big ass Ten Pointer. (laughs) Yeah, the Big Ten. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so. That gets me partway through the season, and then I'm I'm trying to kill that big eight point that I mentioned earlier. And I had an opportunity at him, got him in under me late season, and I had him and another small eight point there, and I was videoing it. The big deer's facing me, and the smaller eight points between me and him. The big deer's only 17, 18 steps. I just need him to turn. And in the process of this, the angle that he was – I thought that my viewfinder on my camera might be in my way when I drew. So you know how you can flip it around and fold it flat to the camera? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I made the I made the mistake of flipping it around and folding it flat to the camera. And when my fingers got against the camera, I mean it would it didn't like an eighth of an inch, but I just let it slip from my fingers. Oh. And it just just that slightest thing. The big deer didn't hear it, but the little one did. And he got a little little spooky and hopped off out there sideways and when he did that the little deer got downwind of me and took off he didn't blow out of there real hard and the big deer kept standing there for a minute or two but he never when he left he got nervous and mm-hmm. was alert and when he decided to go he took about three big hops and stopped and went back to feeding and anyway that was pretty late in the year but before we go on i got that one was question about the, I got a okay. question. Are you shoot? Uh, we met, we talked earlier, and you were saying that you were shooting uh, a longbow for like raccoons and stuff. Are you using a longbow? Or are you uh, compound when you're uh, white? I swap back and forth. Okay. It, that during during mo during all of this run, I'll be shooting a compound. Okay. Nice. Just and curious. So after that deer, that big eight point, there were very few deer right there. I hated hunting that deer. I had more deer in another area over closer to where the blind six point was and a handful of other decent bucks that I might would shoot if I saw them. So I shifted and decided to hunt that area. And there was, I was kind of targeting that Craig deer. Anyway, this was right there about, I think this, I don't know if we had got into January yet, but it was late, late in the year. And I'm sitting there and a group of does come through and this blind six point is with them. And I almost killed him that year. Uh, I'm glad I didn't. That He wasn't, he was probably about like the year I killed him as far as frame. But uh, he's coming through there and I'm, I'm going to shoot him if I get a chance. And like I said, this is public ground stuff. Late in the year, people hunt with dogs and, you know, squirrel hunting, coon hunting. And I don't know right. that that's what this dog was. But anyway, the deer has almost in range they're kind of trotting down through there almost in range i've got the spot picked out to shoot him and before he gets to the 
to the hole, a dog opens up and starts oh, bawling man. like like a running dog or mm-hmm. coon dog opening on track or something. And it wasn't it wasn't that close to the deer, but when it opened up, just it was close enough that it startled him. And they just broke and kind of run through my hole. <laughs> and anyway, I don't get to shoot him. Oh. So uh, <laughs> I was thinking, man. Ain't that some bull crap? <laughs> we, we've all been through it. Like yes. that, there's nothing worse than being on a hunt and uh, seeing an, a dog come through the woods. Yeah. Not not a coyote. A coyote, I could give a shit about, you know, because they're part of the landscape. You know, deer deal with them yeah. every day. Yeah. But when a dog comes through, you know, they just mess with deer if they oh, see. Yeah. Them. That or humans. Yeah. I or, mean, yeah. being on public ground. Yeah, I used to hunt a little piece. I'm, that uh, I, I was pretty close to the neighboring property, and I had permission to hunt on the neighboring property too. But for whatever reason, this guy, it was is when persimmons were starting to drop. And so I'm yeah. sitting there. It's getting to be right at that magic hour, and I'm seeing deer, you know, further off, and they're kind of working their way this way. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is good. This is going to be a good night. And then all of a sudden, the neighbor, he just comes down and starts picking persimmons, you know, <laughs> and picking them up off the ground. And I'm just like – Hi. <laughs> this, oh man, this, it, it took me it took me a few years to to get and I don't know I, I don't know that I can say that I'm used to it, but at least realize that that's part of the deal. I mean, when when you're on public ground people don't hunt like you hunt and they yep. you know, it's just so many things that happen. I could we could take a whole podcast and talk about the bullshit that happens on hunting on public ground that messes you up we actually well, have that know, on our list kill a deer. <laughs> yeah our buddy our buddy ethan came up with an idea of public ground uh, etiquette and stuff like that yeah something that would be a good one because oh, you hear you hear everything uh, out there it's it's crazy some of the stuff some of the stuff that people some of the stuff that happens unknowingly and in some of the things people do knowing intentionally yeah that's what that's what's really bad is when they do stuff knowingly. Yeah. But it's just part of it. And I guess if you hunt it enough, you kind of learn to try to avoid as much of that as possible. Right. Uh, but anyway, back on the, back on the deer. So that seen him late in 2019. Wait a second. I gotta, I gotta back up just a little bit. I think I'm off a year because 2019, yeah, you got to back up a little bit. So 2019, what I, that stuff I just told you, part of that happened in 2020. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So, so backing up to 2019 on December 5th of 2019. Okay. I ended up shooting a pretty good deer, a big nine point that I was hunting in 2019. I can't believe I, skipped ahead on the story <laughs> it happens uh, this was a, we tend a to get deal. people off track yeah. you know too <laughs> yeah so in 2019 i do kill that 10 point that i was talking about no that's wrong <laughs> 2019 2019 i'm hunting this big nine point that i've got and i end up shooting this deer and shortly after that on December 5th, I'm down there hunting. I just started hunting out of a saddle, and I found this this big turkey foot-looking deer. He's got a big 
sticker point, good deer. Mainframe 10 point with a, some turkey foot oh, stickers off his back time. So I'm hunting this deer. I'm hunting out of a saddle. And uh, that particular day, I'd found this deer. He was on an island. Usually people knew the area. I got a buddy that knows the area I hunt. My wife knew the area that I hunted. But that particular day, I took a canoe, went down a slough. It was about, I don't two or three mile, four-wheeler ride in, and then three-quarter mile down the slough, and then a three-quarter mile walk out on this island where I was hunting at. I climb up my hunt till right at dark. Pitiful afternoon. I don't even might have seen one or two deer. Anyway, I'm going to climb down right there at, at kind of gray light. Just mm-hmm. so I can see enough to walk out. It's basically when I ran out of camera light, I started to get down. Right. And I've got this old lineman's belt that I've been that I've had for years uh, that came with a lock on or a climbing stand several years before. And I'm up there hands free on the side of this tree, putting all my camera stuff up. And I'm down to my to my last piece, putting it in the bag. And then I would have had a you know had my hands back on the tree. But I'm hands-free, leaned back on that lineman's rope belt, and it sounded like a 22 going off. That thing just snapped, and I fell 23 feet and broke my back. Oh. I was paralyzed for – story just took I know a what turn. it feels like to think you're going to die. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I hit the ground. It didn't knock me out. I landed on my feet. It shot both knees up into my face and just oh, shattered my nose. I was, little piece of bone come through the skin mm. and I didn't even really realize that because the pain in my back but I laid there and you know there for that was a that whole deal was a life-changing experience I mean complete you uh did you have cell service at the time did you have your phone no, with you I had it with me but I had no service I don't have service down there at all right um, so and, what what did you do I mean, did you have to crawl well, out of there? How'd you get out of there? So, at the time in 2019, I was probably in the best shape of my life. I mean, I, I was, I was bowed up, ripped, shredded, and I mean, I was humble out in public and stuff like that. But inside, <laughs> I'm the man. You know? I'm, the, I'm the man. You know, it, that's that's kind of how I carried myself, and and. And that a lot of that has changed too. Uh, that was a a wake up call for some of that. But so I hit the ground, and for probably the first several minutes, I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, you know, I know that I don't have another option. I know I'm hurt. And I don't know I'm hurt bad. I know I can't move, but I'm telling myself at that time, you know, I'm I'm strong enough to get up and get out of here. You know, I'm trying to talk myself into it. Mm-hmm. Be the badass you think you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of my mentality for the first several minutes of that. Yeah. And in the process, I'm also thinking, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here. You know, I, I know that I'm paralyzed. And so you get to that moment, or I did, I got to that moment, which I was raised in church and, you know, believed in God and all that kind of stuff. But I've, I hadn't called or wrote in quite a while. Right, right. And, uh, so I finally got to that point where I knew that I wasn't strong enough. You know, I wasn't going to get out of it. I'm, I'm paralyzed. I'm bleeding out my mouth, nose. Um, 
can't hardly breathe and excruciate. I mean, I can't describe the amount of pain that I was in. I wasn't even aware until I finally kind of picked my head up because it was just my legs that were paralyzed. I kind of picked my head up and it's a puddle of blood the size of a five gallon bucket that I didn't even know I was losing. Oof, I mean, man. I was completely unaware of it until I saw it on the ground. And, uh, so I just took a minute and got all my stuff right, said a prayer and, and said, Hey, I know I probably don't deserve it. I hadn't called or wrote. And, mm. uh, but you know, if this is a, if this is a wake up call, I get it. I hear you. I hear it. <laughs> so that was a life changing for, in a, all aspects. I mean, my, my outlook on life, my appreciation for being able to do things that I do, what I have, my family. Um, and then of course my relationship with God too, because I didn't take it lightly. And so uh, anyway, I said, said the prayer and got all my stuff straight and uh, asked for help. And I didn't hear any voices or, you know, anything like that. I didn't see any lights, none of the stuff that you that you hear sometimes in the stories. But after I did that, I just had a, you know, I just felt calm. I felt relaxed. I felt like whatever happened was going to be all right. Don't get me wrong. I still wanted to get out of there, but right. I felt like I was, I was going to be all right. And, uh, that was just a really common sensation. And within a minute or two of that happening, I thought that I could feel, you know, my, you know, at that moment I started to feel tingling in my toes and I was getting some feeling back. And from there, every moment was, it was just a huge, I mean, it's like the biggest accomplishment. Being able to wiggle my toes was such an accomplishment or it felt like such a, a big deal. All these little things you take for granted, you know, was so huge and, and yeah. such an eye opening experience. A very, it took me, this happened in 2019, and this is the second time I've told this story uh, this year. And those are the first two times that I've been able to tell the story without it being overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a very, I don't even know how to describe, and I'm not an emotional guy really as far as that type stuff goes, but that was a rough deal. Absolutely. And, uh, anyway. It's life-changing. From there, I moved my legs, and I'm thinking that, all right. And I'm still, I mean, I, the pain from falling out a tree or, or having to broke back was unreal. And it, if I had had another option, I would have said, I can't get up. I can't move. But I knew I didn't have any other option. So it's amazing what you can do, even when you're hurt and in pain, when you don't have another option. So. I move my legs and then I get to the point to where, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to stand up. And that was, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that because I guess scared would be a, a good way to put it. You know, like I said, I'm this fancy myself, this big macho man, but I, I was scared to try to stand up because I'm thinking spinal cord, you know, what am up. I going to do if I right. try to stand up? Am I going to finish myself off by doing, I knew with a back injury, you probably shouldn't move, but I went ahead and tried it and I managed to get up. And again, 
by the time I made it to my feet, that was such a, I mean, it's just like the biggest deal. Mm-hmm. And I get to my feet and from there, it was a long night out. I mean, it's just shuffling, just these tiny little, think of a toddler taking his first steps and, you know, trying not to fall. And that's kind of how that was. And it's been doing it in the woods in mm-hmm. the dark. In the dark. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. So, I mean, I had a little flashlight and in the process, I'll rewind just a little bit before I, before I got to that point, I, I didn't know what my, I had internal bleeding. I found all this out, you know, at the hospital, but I knew then that I was hurt bad and that I was losing blood. And I didn't know what my time frame was, you know, if I was going to make it to the hospital and I had my camera and it fell out with me and it didn't hurt it. So I took my camera and, said what I needed to say. Nobody's ever seen mm. it uh, because it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Wow. But said what I needed to say to the people I needed to say things to. And again, doing stuff like that in that situation where you think you might die, think you may never see those people again, and really being faced with it, it, it changed for the better. I mean, the back falling out of the tree has been one of the worst and best experiences i've ever had um but anyway i do the little do my little video deal and then i start trying to get out out of there and the whole time you know i'm i'm asking for help i get to this canoe and of course that's a rowing movement right (laughs) man it was tough anyway i make it back to the four-wheeler and that was probably the worst worst part was riding down that rough road yeah getting those bumps but I get to the truck, and each, like I said, each step of this was a just a huge one step closer. It's like winning something, you know, winning the biggest. Well, you're getting more hope, is. and you're getting more, yeah. But when I got to the house, when I got back home, and I reached up and touched that doorknob to go in the house, that's when it all like really come flooding me and opening the door and. You know, my family being there, my wife being there, and she actually thought, because I, I pull some bullshit every now and then, <laughs> she thought at first that I was pranking her. Yeah. And uh, then she seen she seen my nose smeared on my face mm. and blood and stuff, and, and she knew that it was real blood and I hadn't wiped, you know, ketchup or something. <laughs> so, uh, and I told her, you know, I got to get to the hospital. And from there, you know, uh, ended up going to the hospital and find out I got a broke back and some internal bleeding. And, you know, he tells me basically there's not anything that they can do about it. It was a compression fracture, you know, and usually that stuff, the bone fragments go everywhere, but I was in pretty good shape. And I had some muscle density and stuff that helped. They said helped hold it together. I tend to think it's probably, uh, I think that whole incident, was a wake up call and higher power. Yes. Yeah. That's what I believe. And that's what I know. I mean, just from experiencing it. So, uh, cause the doctor said, out, he said, was there some limbs or what broke your fall? And I said, nothing, nothing between me and the ground, but air. And he said, well, you should, you, your injuries should be worse than this. And he ended up, you know, the whole paralyzed deal. He said, you know, he, thought that I just shot my spine and it just took that time frame. But 
you know, they were, they were coming up with medical reasons for everything. But, uh, anyway, man, it, uh, it changed my life. And I know that got us off track. No, that, no that, I mean, amazing. that's a, that's an important part of the story too. And dude, you hear about, well, we had a guy, I think you heard that you listened to this show. We had a guy from Arkansas on our show that fell out of a tree right after he yeah, shot a, yeah. after he shot a deer. And I, I've told the story on our show. I fell out of a tree, uh, years ago, walked away from it, but, and then uh, we had some buddies that talk about it outdoors. They had a buddy fall out of a tree last year. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people, like you were saying, you were being safe. You had your lineman's belt on. Uh, I was not being safe when I first started hunting. I was just being stupid. Um, you know, and the guy that fell on our show, he was tied off, but he had taken his, his harness off to, to climb down. That split moment in between. And that's when he fell. And, uh, yep. man, sometimes you, you try to be as safe as you can, and it don't matter. Like, sh- shit still happens. You know, you're when you're 23 foot up in a tree, there's a chance to fall out of it. You know, because you're 23 foot up in a tree. It's just, I mean, unfortunately, yep. there's not a 0% chance. And that, that that's what sucks about, you know, the hunting game is you can take every precaution and still fall out of a damn tree or, or something happened to you. and um, yeah. you know, and, it's, and you know, one of the, one of the big takeaways and to your point, that was just me doing dumb stuff because I had this lineman's belt prior to that. When I hunted out of lock-ons, I hunted, I've always hunted with hooks, you know, tree spikes. Mm-hmm. And, and I was hunting with those that day, but prior to getting a saddle, I had never used, uh, I might would sometimes if i was gonna hunt all day and thought i might doze off or something i would wear a you know a safety harness in the tree but far as climbing i always free climbed you know just no attachment to the tree whatsoever and and using spikes and all the years that i've been doing it never failed and then i put on a safety belt Hmm. and fall out of the tree but my mistake was when i bought the saddle and all this stuff i buy everything except the lineman's rope mm-hmm. the probably the most important or all of it's important when you're tying yourself off and trusting your life with it but i use one that's probably 15 20 years old and what what ended up happening was the threads the belt didn't break the threads were so oh. old and dry rotted or just rotten in general that they just popped and of course the loop in the end of it yeah. slipped right out and i hit the ground yeah so, that's a good i mean that's a good reminder for everybody we've all talked about it before but change your straps and your tree stands people you know a lot of people leave tree stands out uh i have two out when we were out doing that stuff last week that people were talking about doing stuff in i'm like dude i don't trust those tree stands yeah <laughs> those straps have been there for a while they haven't been proven yet you know change those straps you know with your if you're hunting out of a saddle you can switch ropes out, you know, after a while because that can happen when you're using older equipment, stuff dry rots, stuff happens, and uh, that's an important part of the story. Yeah. And after I got to the hospital, you know, I'm asking them what's, you know, what's my future with this? And he said, well, really nothing we can do about it. He said, luckily, he said, we're not going to have to go in and do any kind of surgery because everything is still pretty much in place it's just broke he oh, said wow. it should heal back up 
he said, uh, he said, I don't expect you to walk normally for six weeks. And they said, then after that, he said, you'll, you'll start being whatever you're going to be. He said, I don't know what your pain's going to be. He said, I would probably expect, you know, chronic back pain and stuff like that from here on. You'll probably have some, some back pain. And he's telling me, you know, can't do this, can't do that. Well, that type stuff always motivates me, you know. And so the very next day, I had the green light to lay in bed, of course. But as soon as nobody's looking, I roll out of bed and hurting like hell. But I hobble out to the shop and go to build and die for him. Hop hop on the bench, start pressing 225 30 times just to see if I could still. Well, five days later, and I was messing with my wife. I was telling her, I said, I'm, I'm going to kill a deer before the season's out. I'm going back down there. And uh, she's getting on me, you know, about how stupid this is. Well, five days later, again, I'm home alone. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't never claimed to be the smartest, but I'm sitting there home alone, and I decide, you know, I'm about, at five days, I've been up moving around, and I think it helped me. I think it helped me, you know, not be – in as much pain i wasn't taking anything either oh wow and so five days later i go out in the yard and put my my hooks on and i climb about five foot off the ground in my saddle i put the saddle on put the hooks on and i climb up just enough that i can get off the ground enough to see how that's going to feel if i put my body weight on that and i expected it to hurt you know i expected it felt i didn't feel it it was probably less painful than sitting in a chair you know like in a wooden chair or something like that yeah so anyway at the six week point which he told me that it, i would take me six weeks to get back to where i was walking comfortably six weeks later i went back down there i found a spot where they were hitting some this was in january uh yeah that was december 5th six weeks later i go back down there i find this spot where they're hitting some there was just a few acres left deer picking up over cups anyway i ended up shooting i ended up shooting a 10 point uh well he's a nine point he broke off this he broke off his back tine on one side nothing real special about the deer i mean he's just kind of a tight rack decent mass not a high scoring deer but one of my all-time favorite hunts just because i was back just because of the appreciation okay. yeah, right. hunt, out yeah. There. and uh, of course i had to have a buddy come help me get him out <laughs> Hey, now my back hurts. <laughs> I can't yeah. drag them. <laughs> You're gonna have to do this. That, one, hunt, that hunt is on the YouTube channel too, and it kind of goes over the story of me oh, falling cool. out of the tree, and then uh, it's called the broke back comeback buck. <laughs> and of course, I made jokes about the broke back deal too. How fit they could have to. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So yeah. that happens in 19, and uh, then in 20, you know, you're back hopefully full force and yeah big yeah. blind six 20, I'm back. he's uh he's he's now a target a, a for well, sure he's a yeah, for he, sure he target starts to be. yeah yeah so in in 2018 not on the radar 2019 might shoot him if i saw him end up falling out of the tree and then i kill that deer late in january that tags me out you know for here and because i killed the 10 point earlier that tags me out so i'm done with 2019 fully recover over the summer of 2020 get my cameras back out early 
And right off the bat, I get, and this is where some of the stuff I told you earlier comes back in to play. I, I get pictures of this deer, videos of this deer immediately. <laughs> and that's the year that uh, the video that I sent you mm-hmm. of 20, that's when he had his best frame. and uh, Just a freak. So I get pictures of him right off the bat. Pretty sure I sucked a gnat down my throat. <laughs> but anyway, sorry about that. Oh, you're good. In 2020, that's the video that I sent you. That's when he had his biggest frame. And I also, by this point, three years history. After looking at all the pictures and a buddy of mine and us looking at the very first picture of him I got in 2018, we're thinking that deer was four or five years old in 2018. So that puts him, you know, just guessing at him. We're thinking this deer's probably, you know, getting in that six or seven year old range at that point, mm-hmm. at least. So at that point, I start thinking, all right, I'm going to hunt this deer. Even though he's just a six point, we've got three years history with him, which I like hunting deer that I've got history with. And he's a unique, giant six point and a really old deer. So. I start actually trying to kill him. In the video that I sent you, um, there were some persimmon trees that I'd found early mm-hmm. in that licking branch. So I get this deer on some persimmon trees. I find some persimmon dropping a lot of deer sign on it. I start getting pictures of this deer on the persimmon trees, and he's also hitting a licking branch. That's what I sent you the video of. Pretty awful. I mean, every other... <laughs> Every other day or so, we Man. we got to tell this story. <laughs> we got to tell this story. We're laughing with him now. We're laughing with him. Tori inhaled a uh, gnat about oh five minutes ago. Five minutes ago, and he has been struggling since then. <laughs> Sucker won't go down <laughs> with this gnat just yeah. just killing him. So. uh that sucker one of them sticky leg man. <laughs> hanging on. <laughs> he ain't even wanting to go on now. The sucker trying to crawl back up. <laughs> Persimmon's my so ass. Anyway, <laughs> so anyway, I start getting this deer on this licking branch pretty regular, these persimmon trees and the licking branch. So I go in there and hunt, wait on the wind, all that stuff, of course. I go in there to hunt. And the first day, I don't see him. Second afternoon, here he comes. And I think it's a done deal. The deer is walking a straight line to me. And it gets kind of thick there. He hits the trail that runs right under the licking branch, right under the persimmon trees. And he gets probably, he he wasn't that far from me, probably only 35 yards or so. But there's an edge, those persimmon trees, I call it a persimmon thicket right there because it's it's a bunch of little bitty persimmon trees that usually aren't holding any. And then there's some bigger persimmon trees and it's brushy right there. And it kind of makes an edge in that river bottom. Well, that edge is about 35 yards away and it's it's thick. That Where I was hunting, Matt, I had just a couple holes to shoot right there to that scrape and to those persimmon trees. So anyway, he gets to that edge, and without hesitation, he never stops. He never acts like he knows anything's going on. He just turns and starts heading down that edge. 
I learned a little bit about the deer here too, because in like I said, I always ran my cameras in video mode, and over the process of getting numerous, I mean hundreds of videos of this deer since you know 2018 and especially 2019, and then early part of 2020, this deer was. When he was around other bucks, he always had his ears laid back, hair standing up, you know, posturing, pushing them around. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, this deer's probably callable. So when he turns and I see that he's going to leave, I get a grunt call, blow a grunt call at him. He hears it. I blow it at him again. He takes off. Scared. Huh. Just runs out of there. And I said, nah, uh-huh. he's down one here of- on this public ground. You played this. You played this deal before. He's one of them shit talkers. So I really, yeah, yeah I, I I saw that about the deer. And even though he was aggressive towards other deer, and this ends up playing out, you know, a few more times with this deer before the before it's over with. So I don't get him that day. I end up hunting that deer there two or three more times. Keep getting pictures of him there randomly. Long story short, don't see him there. The persimmons are about to dry up, and that spot dries up. So once that happens, I kind of skip around. That big eight point that I was telling y'all about earlier was still alive. And so I was bouncing back and forth from where the blind six point is to where this big eight point is. And then rifle season comes in. I'm actually kind of trying to kill this big eight point because I, I believe that he will get killed when the rifle hunt comes in because of where he's at and the conditions that year, it was really dry, and he was crossing a slough bed. I knew from cameras that he was crossing a slough bed that had a straight stretch in it about 300 yards long, and you could see down that dried-up slough bed. I said, somebody will sit here during that rifle hunt and kill him. And sure enough, that deer got killed within the first hour of the rifle hunt. (laughs) And I, I don't know that he was killed in that slough bed, but I feel like he was. So... That took me all the way into part of November. Then I swapped back over, and every time that these permit hunts come in, whether it be muzzleloader hunt, rifle hunt, that was the thing. Another thing about the blind six point that that I saw every year with him, all the way back to well, starting with 20, got his pictures in twenty eighteen, but not much history. But starting in twenty nineteen, I would have this deer's pictures and videos, you know, regular, very regular. About two weeks, as soon as people would start coming in to start scouting for these muzzleload and rifle hunts, that deer in particular would disappear from the cameras. I mean, I don't, I don't know where he was going or what he was doing, but he was staying in a, in one of those thickets or something. But as soon as those four wheelers and stuff and activity increased, this deer disappeared. And like I said, probably sixty plus percent of the deer I get pictures of every year get killed. And so having this deer now going three years, he had something figured out to to get by the muzzleloader and rifle hunts. And so the rifle hunt comes in, the big eight point gets killed. So I swap back over and I start trying to find the blind six point again. No pictures of it. So, you know, at that point you're thinking, okay, did he get killed this year? Right. Or is he just still hiding, hiding out somewhere? Yeah. So I bounce around, bounce around. It's two or three weeks before I finally, he finally shows back up on camera. Still looks good, nothing wrong with him. And uh, so I know he's made it through another rifle hunt. 
So I go back to try and hunt him, and he had moved when I got his picture. Again, it was kind of on the – it was I got it on a camera that was a little farther away than where he was normally at. And acorns were changing by that point. It was getting a little later in the year. The food sources were changing some. So I start moving that direction of where I got his pictures at. Anyway, long story short, I end up finding this deer on – this is rolling on into December. And I get I start getting pictures of this deer on some willow oaks that had fell late and there were still acorns there. And the deer were wearing it out. And but also the rivers are coming up and the flood water is starting to I'm starting to get flood water that's pinching in, which mm-hmm. is good if it does it slow enough because it hems the deer up. Right. Anyway, I start hunting this deer and I can see the backwater on one side. And it's, I'm kind of on what I would call a ridge in that river bottom, but it's really just slight elevation. And I ended up seeing that deer. I saw him three times right there in about five hunts. I was seeing a pile of deer. And the first time I saw him, he was out of range. And I, this was the second time that I blew a grunt call at that deer. And I'd done it. I watched him for as long as I possibly could, not wanting to call to him. And uh, I realized, you know, he wasn't going to come that way. And I let him get out of sight almost, you know, or not out of sight, but to where he couldn't see to where I was at. Mm-hmm. I could still see his rack. But I knew he wouldn't be able to see if there was a deer over there grunting. Anyway, I blew that grunt call at him. He turned and looked. I, I did not blow it at him again that time. I mean, I, y'all know I do all kinds of animal calling, so <laughs> I figured out little tricks and stuff to that don't always work, but a lot of times they do. He fooled around, went back to doing what he was doing and started to walk off. So I finally hit him again, took off. Mm. I said, man, nothing's changed, you know, and that just kind of solidified what I was thinking about the deer having been messed with with a grunt call uh, before. And in that process, one day I come out, I was hunting this deer off the river. I come out to go to my boat. And I hadn't seen anybody in that area. And there was a boat parked there that day. Well, I run into the guy and he was real talkative, nice guy. And, uh, he had, there was a, a thicket right there. And I was hunting the back side of that where those, I call them pin oaks, they were will oaks. And, uh, anyway, he had hunted the front side of that thicket that day. And he was telling me, you know, we, we were probably only three, 400 yards apart. And he starts telling me, he said, man, I seen this giant deer. He said, he's got this, he said, I bet he was 20 inches wide. And he's telling me, he said, all about him. And he says, uh, he said, but I think he was just a six point. And I said, uh, you know, he saw him. And he said, uh, he said he was coming towards me down the edge of that thicket. And he said, he just act like something was wrong. He turned and went in the thicket. (laughs) He said, I I can still see his tail and stuff flipping. He said, so I blew a grunt call at him. He said, he took off. (laughs) Well, after he told me the whole story, I knew what the deal was because he was hunting where he was hunting at. And I knew that area. He was the reason the deer acted the way he did. The deer was downwind of him. He was hunting with the wind blowing in the thicket mm. anyway. And it's a wonder he even saw the deer, but he did see him. And then he blew a grunt call at him on top of it. So <laughs> the thinking, wind, yeah. Man, this is, I know why this deer acts this way. So uh, anyway, 
I go back in there. I think it was maybe the following morning or two mornings later. And I really thought I was going to kill him that morning. I have, I'd have to watch the video back, but I have a whole group of deer coming. It's by this point, it's getting tail end of December and the deer starting to group back up. Some of the bucks are grouping back up. The does are grouping back up. And this wad of does comes by and comes right under the stand, feeds on those trees. And while I could still see them, the same trail that they take, here comes a group, I think it was three bucks. And the blind six point was the last deer in the group. And I'd never seen him, you know, running with other deer, but he was with those two bucks that day. Well, they come through and follow those does right through, right under me. One of them was a pretty, pretty good deer. And of course I wasn't going to shoot it with the blind six point there. It outscored the blind six point, but right. anyway, I let them go. They walk right under me and I, I'm thinking, you know, this is a done deal. That six point beds down in that thicket. I can see, him, <laughs> but he's probably 60 plus yards and I can just catch him. I've got all this. I videoed all this, and you can see his rack turning. And Anyway, I was hunting with another boy that morning, which I rarely actually hunt with somebody. But I had a buddy of mine, and I had dropped him off down the river, and I had a pickup time for him. That's one of the reasons I hate hunting people is that time frame. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I got this deer bedded, and I've got a time frame, and I, no cell service like we were talking about before. So I hate not to go get him, but at the same time, I'm – I've got this deer laying there. Well, the wind was also supposed to be changing, so I wait until as long as I can wait for the deer to actually get up and come my way. And some of those deer were still, they had fed farther out in the bottom, but they were still out there behind me. And the wind was starting to kind of get, I was catching it a little bit, and I was thinking he's probably going to smell me here for long. So, again, I'm down to last resort. I and this go around, I'm thinking, well, I've got these deer behind me. Those deer were with him when he come down through here. Uh, maybe the grunt or some rattling will work. So I tickled some horns at him just a little bit because I knew he'd hear it quick. And, and he perked up and looked and listened. And he stood up and he turned like he was going to leave, started walking off. And so I bumped him with a grunt call and he hauled ass again. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh. And when I say he took off, you know, he just kind of trots off. But that that right there broke me. I knew I knew that I would never call to the deer again. That was three attempts plus the story from the other guy. And right after that, we had another big rain for like two days. The river shot up. I tried to go in there one more time. Couldn't even get to my stand. It was, you know, or couldn't even get to my tree. It was over knee deep in water. Oh. So flooded out that ended 2020. So fast forward to 2021, this deer going into 2021, that was the first year that he was going to be a target. Like right off the bat, I wanted to hunt this deer and go regardless of what else I got or how big they were. I knew I wanted to kill this deer if I got his pictures again, because I was going to have four years history with him and I wanted to kill him. In 2020, I wanted to kill him during that time frame, but going into 2020, he wasn't. He wasn't the. He was on my radar, but not, but not the deer. Right. Going into 2021, he was the deer. 
that I wanted to kill. And I did get, I start running cameras and I always pick this deer up immediately, early. That in 2021, there were almost no acorns where there usually were, where he usually was. No persimmons. I'm running the cameras on all the licking branches I get him on, on all the places that there was very little food. And I cannot get this deer's picture. I actually had a picture of the first video I got of him was on November 3rd. But I didn't know it was out away from the camera and it was a daytime video and it wasn't close enough for me to know for sure if it was him. And since it was the only video I had of him, I I just kind of shrugged it off. I thought it might have been him. Right. I don't get pictures of this deer. I end up getting some other deer, finding some other deer, you know, to hunt. And I'm kind of thinking, you know, well, something's happened to him. But I didn't completely write him off. I kept looking for him because I knew with the way the food situation was and not having other deer in that area, I, I thought maybe he just moved somewhere. So if you rewind back to 2018, when I put that first camera out and got his picture in that thicket, it crossed my mind that that year was a similar year acorn-wise to 2021. And most of the acorns were a little farther down the river, just the other side of where I got that picture in 2018. I hadn't run, I hadn't hunted that area you know, what would have been down river from the 2018 picture any of these years. That camera that I got the 2018 picture was the farthest down river I'd ran a camera. Um, so anyway, that crossed my mind and I bet, I bet that might be where he's at because that's where I got his first picture and I hadn't ran any cameras in that area, especially deeper in there. And there, I went out there and there were some acorns in there. Of course, this is, we've got in December at this point, early December. Right. I'm trying to remember what the actual date was that I got his picture, but um, December something, mid, first week or so of December, I get his picture. And, man, that thing, he looked rough that year. He comes fuzzed up. While the first picture I got of him, he, he's walking dead at the camera, fuzzed up. It's a dusky, dark picture. And, of course, that blind eye is, is not shining in the deal, and I immediately recognize him, and I notice that he's missing an eye guard that year. He's not quite as big a frame uh-huh. either. And uh, But I knew it was I knew it was him as soon as I got his picture. And I said, well, and he ends up bedding down in front of the camera. Oh, <laughs> so cool. it's almost like he was teasing me. <laughs> I got back. three I got three videos of him right there, and that was it. And I tried to hunt him right there, didn't see him, put out more cameras, no videos of him. I ended up moving a half mile deeper in there where there, there were more acorns. Put out a couple cameras in a couple different places, and I get him on both of them. One of them was in a funnel spot, and one of them was on some, uh, what few acorns were left. And I get him on both spots. And uh, I had him in the daytime, so I knew I, I knew I was in the right spot then. Another part of the story that I left out when I could have killed this deer earlier on, and it'll tie in right here. This made me think of it. In 20, either 2019 or 2020, I think it was in 2020 when he had his best track. It was the morning time change. I was late getting to my stand. It's already daylight. I'm walking in and I see this. I had a, I had this pretty good seven point on camera nothing i was hunting but you know a recognizable deer 
I see this thing coming. And so I just squat out on the ground. And I could tell by the way he was acting, he was kind of posturing and looking back. And I could tell there was probably another deer. And I film everything. So I set everything down, get my bow. But I don't, you know, I can't set my camera. But I've got it for mounting on a tree anyway. So right, I just right. set all my stuff down, squat out on the ground. And about that time, I see the second deer coming. It's the blind six point. Well, this seven point peels off and goes down a slough right beside me, goes all the way past me. And I was on like an old, old road right away walking in. Well, the when the seven point peels off, that blind six point keeps coming. I know he's blind in his left eye. Well, he walks by me at 20 yards. Mm. And I, I have an air on and I draw on the deer, put the pin on him, and I'm going back and forth on whether or not I'm going to kill him. I mean, he's just right there. I end up letting down, grabbing my cell phone, and videoing him with my cell phone walking across. Mm. You know, it, by the time I get my phone out, he's maybe 30 yards. Oh, and wow. I video him, go across and out of sight. So that was an opportunity where I could have killed him and chose not to kill him because of the filming right. side of it. Then jump back to 2021. I get the pictures of him in the daytime. I go in there to hunt the next morning. And a lot of times I'll walk in to where I can just see without a light. And so I'm climbing the tree, and I think the deer, like I said, I, I climb a hook. I think the deer heard me climbing the, the tree. I get up there, and I've, I've got everything set up except my camera. I've got my bow ready. It's hanging there. Arrows on it. Everything's ready. I hear a deer coming. And so I just get still and quiet. It's the blind six-point. Walks up there. He's coming in there with his ears laid back. I think he heard me climbing the tree and thought it was, a, I guess I should have been peeling bark instead of grunting at him. <laughs> but anyway, he uh, he comes walking up there, and he knew exactly where that was coming from. And there was a there was a couple scrapes right there, too. He turns and walks through one of them about 15 yards from me. Then he turns around and walks back across, and I, I'd already made my mind up. I wasn't going to shoot him. I, didn't, I had that much history with him on camera video all this on my cell phone he turns and walks starts walking back the way he come from and i thought well maybe i can go ahead and get the camera set up while he's in sight and i'm trying to get it back i'm trying to get it out of my bag and on my camera arm and the deer turns around and walks and walks right through the little pinch that i'm kind of set up on there and he does it before i get the camera on him so he gets by me damn cameras and, uh, so that's that's two opportunities where i had the opportunity to shoot him close range and chose not to because of the camera so i hunt there a couple more times and it's by this time it has got i can't remember the dates on it i have to go back and look at pictures but i end up shooting this nine point that was there um that was, you know, it was just decent deer, nothing real high scoring, probably a probably a 120 class deer at best. But it was late in the year, and this was a, a deer that I thought had a little eight, little, little eight, you know, four, probably a four-year-old deer. I shoot this thing because I wanted to shoot something, basically. That right. Late in the year. Had the and I knew I still had one tag. So I shoot that deer, kill him on video. I hadn't released that yet. But then I go right back to trying to kill. And that's something else. And 
in 21 every intro to every video that I do on every stand that I hunt every day, you know, unless the weather's bad or something. So every one of them, if I'm hunting in that area, I mentioned the blind six point. That's the deer, you know, one of the main deer, the main deer I'm trying to kill. And then I might mention a couple other ones that I would shoot if I saw them like at nine. So after I kill the nine point, go right back to trying to, to kill this blind six point. And I find the spot. I run no cameras here. It's a half mile from where I, where I was hunting, where I shot the nine point, where I videoed it. It's a half mile from there. I find two or three overcups that have acorns and a deer, a lot of sign in there. And it's a pinch right there too. It's a couple sloughs that came together. Good looking spot. And a lot of, a lot of sign in there. I didn't know for sure if the blind six point was using that or not half mile from there, but I, I knew it was close enough to right. be possible. It was close enough I to his area that my little intro. It was yeah. Close enough to I his area that, that it's, first, it's possible. Right. I climb up that first, after finding the spot, I climb up that first afternoon. And I think I see 17 deer that afternoon come through and hit those, which was pretty high numbers for that area to see. So I knew I was in a, I knew I was in a good spot as far as having a lot of the deer and was probably on the last little bit of food that was around, but I don't see him. The next morning I go back in there and hunt the same spot. I climb up in the tree. I start seeing some deer and I can't remember exactly what time it was that morning, but I hear some deer coming running. I look up, here comes a whole group of deer, does and bucks. There's like 11 deer together. Some little racked deer and some does, and they kind of run through and jump the slough and end up slowing back down and coming right by me. Well, I'm watching them, and then they take off. Well, I hear something else coming. I turn and look, and here comes a giant boar hog. And I think he had busted them out of a little thicket head right there because that's where they come from, and he come through it too. I think he busted those deer out of that head of that little thicket and run them over me and i'm sitting there talking on camera because that hog that hog comes through and walks right under me and i'm cussing that hog you know thing i'll shoot that sucker thank god we don't deal with that yet yeah i hope we don't oh man them things i hate them and if i see them almost every hunt damn but uh he run all those deer through there and i'm kind of cussing that hog he no sooner gets gone I had my attention focused kind of on him and the way those deer went. And I looked back around the same way he come from, the same way all these other deer come from. And the blind six point is probably 40 yards and he's already in between the sloughs and he's got to come down. If he keeps coming, I've got the wind on him and he's got to come down one of two trails and both of them I can shoot. So I get my camera. This time I've got everything set up. And that was January 18th. Um, I went in there. I'm pretty sure that's right. January 17th, I hunted it that afternoon. Does your does your season January. end the 31st of January, or when is it? No, it goes all the way through. Well, it goes all the way through February 28th. Oh, dang. Oh, wow. wow. Jeez. Ours is done January yeah. 15th. Yeah. yeah, that's why I say you can hunt them to their horn spot. I normally don't hunt them that long because a lot of our deer will start dropping, you know, by – valentine's day a lot of them will drop and some of them will drop as early as i mean i had some shed bucks on camera 
when I killed this deer. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, so January 18th was the morning that it was, but I've got all my camera equipment and everything set up this time. And he comes walking right by filming, you know, all the way through. He actually walked through a couple of holes and as he gets on around, I've kind of picked my spot. And I was running a couple GoPros too. And uh, I draw back on him, and I draw with him walking with his head up because he had his left side to me, and I knew I knew he was blind in that left eye. So I mean, as he's walking with his head up, and he never let up. He didn't stop and feed or anything. He he stopped a couple times, just alert, you know, checking things, but he never fed. He was just walking through, and uh, I drew on him while he was walking, and then uh, bladed at him. He as soon as he paused. I shot him, and boy, it looked perfect. But and I've always shot, I've always shot fixed blade broadheads. Mm-hmm. And prior to talking about the coyote hunt stuff, prior to I had set my bow up with some lighter arrows, lighter everything, and some rage broadheads for coyote hunting just to get a bigger cut, cut because yeah. coyotes don't bleed very much. Rolling into deer season, I just never swapped it back over to what I usually deer hunted with. And so I shoot this deer, and it looks like I hit him perfect, and I did. But as he wheels to run, it looks like my entire era is hanging out of the side of it, and it was. Oh, shit. But I'm thinking, you know, that I, that I didn't get any penetration. So I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of torn between – did I get him or not? It looked perfect. And so I start trying to watch the footage back in the tree. And I see this deer, you know, he runs and he kind of makes a loop. And he goes up in behind this big, t- I get a blind spot. And I don't see him come out the other side. But I kind of thought he turned and might have run straight away from me because it was a pretty big blind spot. So that, that makes me a little, a lot worried. And I'm thinking, man, all this time fooling with this dang thing finally get the shot and i ain't gonna you know i ain't got no penetration miss not yeah and so yeah. i'm worried about that so I, I try to watch the footage back there and i just cannot tell you know i can't tell if the air goes in and comes back out as he wheels or if i just didn't get any penetration right and i'm you know talking back and forth with my buddy uh, that hunts down with you know, hunts that area with me. And, you know, he's thinking, man, that's, he's, he thinks I got him. And so I go back to the house so I can put it on my editor and really slow it down and, and see what's going on. And once I get it on there and slow it down, I feel a lot better about it because I see the arrow looks like it goes in. And then as he wheels, it looks like it comes Push back, it back you know? out. Yeah. Yeah, his, pushes back out his opposite back. blade maybe or whatever when he made his movement yeah, well, back i mean behind. you can kind of tell in the you know you can tell in that picture i sent you yeah it's like right in the edge of the shoulder that, on yeah. one side yeah and it kind of it's a little it's not any shoulder blade or but it's it's up it's in right that and it almost it. poked through it almost poked through on the opposite side nice but uh anyway i go home and course my wife she's real supportive with i mean that's why i get to hunt so much she runs the mfk stuff every day i mean that's how i coyote hunt every morning and then during deer season i leave before daylight and don't get back till after dark almost every day of the season 
So when I and she knew, you know, well, it's perfect. It's really perfect because her name's Tori Cook too. So it works <laughs> right. out because nobody knows the difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I know it's spelled right. different, but you don't have to charge. Tell that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, she she that's a, something she talks about all the time. All the people that call her brother. <laughs> when they're sending her messages thanks brother and all that. <laughs> but, uh, anyway she she knew how much i had invested in this deer over the years and all the documented pictures and everything and so when i go back to tracking she wants to go with me so we go back and take up the blood trail and where i saw him last is where he when he got in behind that blind spot that's where he failed he didn't go no he didn't go hardly anywhere. And we found awesome. him pretty quick. And man, it was once I got my hands on him and I sent you a picture of that too, and I saw his just the the condition of his cape and the scars on the deer and mm-hmm. it's an old warrior. Know, the, the missing eye. He had no hair on his muzzle, old Roman nose looking thing. I mean, you could just see the age on him. And I was at that time, I'm thinking this deer is probably seven, eight years old is what I'm guessing he met, just based off the four years history I had with him. And so after I got him to the house, you know, we do the picture deal. And it was, you know, like I said, I've, I've killed, I got a wall full of biggins. I mean, and a, and a pile of biggins in the shop. I mean, I've killed some deer that are a bunch of deer that are a lot better, higher scoring than that what ended up being the blind five point by the time I kill him. Mm-hmm. But th- that blind five point is is probably my favorite deer because I knew he was an old deer then, but after I got him back, I had aged deer off their teeth doing taxidermy. Before I got into the MFK stuff, I did taxidermy for years, and I learned how to age deer and all that kind of stuff. So I looked at his teeth, and, of course, he didn't have enough to keep aging. You get to that six plus mark on just kind of doing tooth wear kind of just start guessing from there yeah so i ended up sending his teeth off to have the layered agent done on him mm-hmm. and it come back as nine and a half possibly ten and a half wow is what they thought he was so dang once i got the age back on him you know i was actually i was actually shortening him a year or two mainly because you know how many deer make it to yeah very few that age plus i think know? their Especially natural lifespan's like, like 12 yeah i think that's like like, one like of the old, in a perfect environment in a, right, if, yeah, you, right. if he just lived his life i think 12 is like old. a long lifespan for yeah. a deer yeah even is like so if you're looking at his face even his good eye his good eye doesn't even look good. <laughs> like, like he almost looks blind on that he, one. He too. looks like it's half closed. Like Torquil <laughs> Blondie. <laughs> you know, he, well, in he, the video, I don't know if you can see it in that picture, but he had he had some puncture wounds around that eye, like that had just missed it. It's a wonder he had one geez. eye. Mm-hmm. But uh, Old he was rough, man. His his cape and stuff was all scarred up, missing hair. You see what his muzzle looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a, it was slick. It, it didn't have hair on Oh, wow. How big not. of a body did he have? I mean, was it average size or was he, like, huge? That year, and I noticed it. Of course, it was late in the year, you know, when I started getting pictures of him. That video that I sent you, you know, that he was always a big-bodied, you know, healthy-looking deer. But the year I killed him, he 
kind of down. He didn't have the neck size. He looked run down. Of course, I don't kill him till January, but he didn't look as good as he had in previous years. Well, and as far as how big he was in in that, that particular area, every year they do when they have these permit hunts, they act they weigh everything and check them and all that kind of stuff. And most of the time, they don't have a deer that that hits two hundred pounds in this hmm. deep South Arkansas. Now you can go to an hour when I hunted over around the White River, Mississippi, Arkansas. You have deer that hit two forty over there. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I didn't weigh him. I don't ever weigh anything. But I I think that he was probably in that one eighty plus range on his good years. And I don't know if he would have weighed that when I killed him. Well, hell, he's he was, nine, maybe ten years old. He went through another rut, and it's January, and he's worn down. I mean, was, that that's a deer that, you know, if you don't kill him then, I wonder if you even yeah. get a chance to kill him in 2022. Yeah. You killed him in 21? I, I It was the 21 or, season. 21 so season. Year January 22. of 22. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know that you get a chance at him the next season. I don't know if he makes it, you know, again. Yeah, I kept, that's kind of where I'm getting to with that Craig deer that I told you about. You know, I don't know. I'm estimating his age, and if anything, I may be a year shy on him. So, you know, I, the Craig deer's got to be seven and a half minimum this year, mm-hmm. and he could be a year or two older than that. I said normally you but don't But what's start- odd is how, as, as much as I run cameras – and all the deer that I've had pictures of and history with for a few years, it's amazing how many of them can't make it, you know, through a season or two, but how a couple of those, I mean, my, my buddy's got a deer that he's got three or four years history with. And it's, it's kind of amazing how those deer, those two or three are able to make it year after year after year. I mean, they've got something they're doing something during that time frame that that gets them by. I don't think it's a coincidence that they just slip by year after year after year, and, and especially when they disappear on off of camera, when you start getting a lot of activity around those permit hunts. Yeah, I think they do something. You know, they react to that some kind of way that that keeps them alive. They know. They I think when it's keeps time to Craig move. Deer alive. That Craig Deer lives lives on a since he's still alive i'm gonna i'm gonna be kind of vague with my description <laughs> he lives in the woods but he <laughs> he lives in a spot i out of all the years that i've had that deer i never get his picture outside of like a but mainly like out of 40 acre block he stays in a real tight I and mean, if you put a camera in there you'll get him quick but because of where he's at i'll say this it's there's enough water around him and there's the easy access to get to him and the way everybody would access that to get, I think the D I think he knows he knows I don't think they can access him and hunt him coming in on dry ground without him knowing he's being hunted. Yeah. You know, and to come in from the water side, which is I've had two opportunities. I've seen him from the stand two times, both times I come in from the water side. Yeah. Yep. And that's a pain. That is a, that's why I don't hunt him anymore than I do. Cause it's a sucks. It's a nightmare to go to that much trouble. 
anyway that's yeah. uh that's, that, awesome. that's the story of the blind six points sometimes i wonder you know i've, I've kind of thought especially these older deer you say you know there's so many deer that don't make it to this age sometimes i feel like two and three year olds a few of them get lucky and don't die right yes. they they either get lucky and get missed or a few people bust them and they get lucky and make it to that four years old and then it's that's when they start figuring things out and get smart. you know like okay last year i almost died here or all this happened last year and then they just get smarter and smarter and smarter and you know if they can get lucky up front when they're young and not get killed I think that's when yeah. they just get harder and harder to kill every damn year because, you know, they, it's like an educated coyote that you just keep busting every every damn day you walk in, that sort of stuff, you know. They just it, – it takes getting lucky up front for most of them, and then, yeah. then they're good. You know, then they just start yeah, I, knowing I, how to survive. I think a lot of those – because I'll, I'll have, you know, deer. I'll have a lot of deer that I get a second year you know, rarely a third. And I think that second year is just what you're talking about. You know, you, and when I say second year, they might be a three or four year old deer that second yeah. year that you get them. Right. But I think a lot of that is that second year was just a lucky deal kind of where they managed to, you know, happen to get by. Yeah. But then on deer like the blind six point and, and some of them that there's multiple years history with, I think those deer are reacting and doing, you know, doing something, bedding somewhere, doing, and, and down here is so thick. I don't, I don't, you know, do the whole, I don't think that deer's bedding up in the same spot in his one little bed or anything like that. I, but I think he has an area or a spot that's, you know, either hard to access or he knows when people are coming and going, trying to hunt him or like the grunt call deal. I No doubt he figured that, that out. Yep. Um, but they get smart, man. And it, the calling stuff, you know, that's what I do for a living is call animals. So I'm I'm always big on stuff like that. I was talking to a couple buddies the other day. We were doing some coon hunting, talking deer hunting while we were doing it. And one thing I picked up on, and I've got multiple videos of this. A lot of it's just with my cell phone when I'm out there scouting and happen to walk up on a deer or see a buck or something and it can be a little buck or a better deer or whatever but one thing i learned partly from raising coyotes and just knowing about a lot of experience calling animals i figured out on this public ground and i started trying to teach myself to do it a lot better than i could was voice grunt at these deer i've had and like i said i got multiple videos of it I grunt in some deer down there with a grunt call. I mean, there's a time frame where the calling works pretty good, and I like to call deer, so I'll grunt and rattle and call in a good many deer. Oh, yeah. But I also have some that act like they are scared or are educated, if you want to use that word, educated to a grunt call. But what I figured out is if, if you have, and this is holds true big time with coyotes, but I think it holds true with deer some too. I figured out that I have a much higher, way higher success rate when I voice grunt at these deer than if I use a 
you know, commercial store-bought drunk call. And I think it's because they don't, they, they don't hear, you know, they hadn't heard that. Uh, It's different. Yeah, it's different and they hadn't heard it and they, they buy into it. And I've even had the same deer, you know, hunt multiple days and maybe have the same deer, recognizable deer and, and try it both ways and have that deer come to the voice grunt, but he won't come to you. Matter of fact, he'll trot away or leave you know, act a little spooked from the other grunt calls. So just some inter- interesting stuff I picked up, you know, from all the testing calls on coyotes and then it's kind of applying some of that to deer hunting and seeing yeah. how, how it all plays out. Boy, that is awesome. I, this might be the first Tales of the Chase where we have went through pretty much every emotion you can go through yeah this has been <laughs> anticipation damn near thought i was gonna cry when he was telling his uh his story of falling out of the tree and then uh you know just this this whole dancing game he was playing with the big six which is now his name by the way i'm gonna give him that the name. big six that is, his, that is his nickname the big six or five <laughs> but uh kind of like through every single emotion in this tales of the chase so Tory Cook with his first tales of the chase, I give him an A plus. Absolutely, oh, for sure. Other than swallowing a gnat in the middle of it, swallowed <laughs> a gnat and I got kind of mixed up on my years. <laughs> well, that's a lot of history to go that. through. That's that's, that's, a, that's a lot of time to think about I'm, what you did. <laughs> I'm sure I left out lots of it, but it was long enough as it was. I've got them on this computer over here. I've got oh man. And they're all videos. I know I said pictures a lot, but they're all video clips. Every yeah. one of them are video clips of this deer. Four years worth of documented, and, and we're talking, we're probably talking thousands of clips, plus the cell, the, the two different cell phone encounters, plus videoing him, you know, a handful of times from the tree, like when he bedded down. So it's a, I mean, it's a, long story and most of it was captured on film of some kind that's awesome yeah, yeah that is that's awesome. rare i mean that's rare to have that many encounters that you can document you know a lot of guys oh i didn't see you know couldn't get him on camera didn't shoot him you know but they don't have the cell phone clip so they don't have this or that i mean but that the documented history yeah. is what's cool yeah hopefully that we get to see it one day it. yeah <laughs> this one is I've not to... this one's not out yet correct this is not on youtube it's not out yet it's going to take a long time to put it together, and I absolutely hate sitting behind the computer. <laughs> uh, that, and it's like I was telling you off camera, you know, I'm, you, I'm torn. I like sharing the stuff. I like preserving it, mainly for, you know, just for my own enjoyment. enjoyment. Later on, you know, this video deal, being able to go back and watch your hunts, and then now I've got the grandson that, you know, is, he loves to, he's only two, but he loves to watch the, so there's that side of it that I, I want to put it out there and, and have it. And then there's that side of the, especially on the deer hunting, but even the coyote hunting stuff. Yeah. I've had getting away from being secretive and yeah. low key and, you know, that side of it. And, Unfortunately, and I, sometimes people suck. You know, and you, <laughs> and you have to deal with that at yeah. times. So yeah. we we definitely right. understand it. But 
Dude, that is uh, an awesome story. Uh, the big six. Uh, probably the only six I've heard a story on, and you just don't see six pointers very often. You know, especially kind of getting that big. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, a two year old is a six pointer, turns into an eight, turns into a ten. You know, you don't usually see them just stay like that and then just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what this deer yeah. did throughout his life, obviously, from, you know, five to nine years old. So. What what was another funny part of it, I guess, is deciding to tell the, you know, this tells the chase about a, what ends up being a five point. You know, you're chasing <laughs> a six point or a five point. And when I was, my wife, when I told her I was, had to do this podcast or had this podcast scheduled for tonight. Um, she said, which deer are you going to tell them about to you? Illinois deer? Cause that's my highest scoring deer. And then I've got another one that I killed off white river. That's in the one sixties and that Illinois deer's, you know, upper one seventies. Yeah. They're both public ground deer and, and good stories and fun. I mean, good stuff. But I thought, I said, no, I'm going to tell them about the blind six point. <laughs> <laughs> My lowest scoring, you know, I don't even what. Who cares, you know? <laughs> right. But yeah. he's probably my favorite deer, and what what I consider my my best deer. Right. I think he's my best deer just because of of what he was. You well, know, how you worked he for was. him. Yeah, I mean, you had to put you, in you a lot put of in effort. the time. Yeah, and he's yeah, old. He's just, and he's older. He's probably the oldest deer you've killed. I mean, it, at least. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, I mean, he's technically the most mature. So, and and by the way, there's no limit on Tales of the Chase story. So, they'll mean uh, we can't hear the other ones at some point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, hey, I love the Tales of the Chase stuff and just, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I listen to. I've always, it's always funny to me how people come to the house and they'll look at the deer and they may ask me a question or two about maybe something like, like what'd he score, where'd you kill him, stuff like that, and that's all they want to know about it. Ever since I was a kid, I mean, a little bitty kid, I loved deer hunting stories, you know, especially if they were bow hunting stories. I wanted to know, and I still, to this day, when I was doing taxidermy, when somebody would bring me a deer, I'd ask them, you know, well, how'd you kill him or whatever, and they're usually pretty short with it, and they might say, well, kill it with my bow, and course then i want to know more about it and i'll ask them you know i like hearing those stories right yeah and uh, i spent most of my teenage years bow hunting and reading north american whitetail stories I, I wouldn't read any of the i didn't read any of the tips and tactics stuff but i would read all the stories of you know the yeah especially the the bow hunts like mossy horns and just any of them. Oh yeah, you know I, I always loved hearing those stories, and I like that about y'all's well, podcast. I appreciate that. That's my favorite thing too. I mean, I, what I love is especially on a podcast. Now, obviously, I like to watch stuff on YouTube yeah. and, and watch hunts. But what I like about listening to stories on podcast is, at least this is what I do when I'm, you know, if I'm driving or whenever I'm listening to it, I will. I will paint a picture of what I'm listening to in my mind. Yeah. It might not be anything like what actually is happening, but I'm right. I'm picturing that deer there and I'm I'm picturing you up in the tree and I'm picturing that slough and you know how he came through. Even when you were telling it just now, 
I'm, in my mind, I'm watching that deer walk mm-hmm. and watching you draw with his blind eye looking, you know, towards you, and I'm watching all of that in my mind, and that's my favorite part about the the stories. Uh, now, I also yeah. love learning stuff too, but yeah, I I'm a story guy too, so I'm with you on that one. But uh, and you did a great job here on the Tales of Chase episodes episode. Uh, Tori Cook with MFK Game Calls. We really appreciate your time tonight, and uh, go wash out that net. <laughs> Yeah, I think I finally swallowed it. <laughs> All right, man. It took 30 minutes. <laughs> hey, man, we'll talk to you later. All right, see you.